If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 12. We finish with our Advent series, and before we begin our studies uh, in this coming year, I uh, wanted to leave you with a, a, a story and uh, the understanding that as we begin to look towards 2021, that God is still in control, and so it doesn't matter what uh, political parties in power, it doesn't matter uh, the things that we encounter in the coming year, God is still in control of the situation. So if you look at Acts chapter 12, if you were to read through, if you've been reading through uh, throughout the year, you would understand that um, it's kind of unnecessary to be there because if you look at the end of chapter 11 and then the beginning of chapter 13, it's a pretty seamless story. So why would God include this? Well, I would venture to say that God includes it so that we might once again be encouraged and be bold as we take forth the mission of the church in both word and prayer as we go forth in this coming year. So I'm going to be reading this as we go through the three points this morning. So let's go to the Lord and prepare us in our hearts to hear his word. Heavenly Father, it is to you and to you alone that we run And so, Father, we know that as we encounter this coming year, there's things that are unknown, things that might look very stressful as we turn the corner, as things continue to happen in people's lives, whether it is the COVID, whether it is people who've lost jobs, the scenario of the government and the political situation around the world. Lord, it's very easy to become myoptic and to look at just at our individual lives, it's easy to try to take care of just our own. And yet, Lord, even in the midst of trials and hardships, you call us to go forth with a mission of bringing people to Christ, to find hope and to be healed and to be set free. So, Father, I encourage us as we come to an end of 2020 and begin a new season empower us to go forth as disciples who are ready to change the world, even in the midst of hard times and trials, because we're changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his powerful name, and all God's people said, amen. The first point we'll be looking at is the earthly opposition that comes about, and so I want you to look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 12, verses one through five as we begin. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the first thing I want you to begin to understand is that there's earthly opposition, that there was earthly powers that were seeking to put the church, as Mickey's already reminded us, trying to defeat and destroy the church completely. So we have Herod Agrippa I. Now, if you remember, Herod's a very common name at this point in regards to Jesus, but there are three Herods that we are dealing with. So this is the grandson of Herod the Great. 
So he has been reared in Rome. He hasn't been raised in Jerusalem. He's been reared in Rome, and he becomes a regent because he's raised with these powerful people. He grows up with some of the most powerful people in that time of the world. And so he becomes regent over the Jerusalem area because he has found favor with the world. Now, it should begin to ask us the question of worldly power. Do we seek it? Do we want it? And if we're honest, if we really are honest, none of us are probably sitting around and saying, dear God, I want my child to be raised up as a missionary to go into a bad part of the world and be killed for the gospel. I would venture to say probably no one in this room has prayed that prayer. Most of us try to come up with the right pedigree, have the right upbringing, go to the right college, get the right job. We seek after the power of the world. But I would tell you that it's probably easier for a missionary than it is for people to be Christians in corporate America today. See, we find ourselves trying to find favor with the world by compromising who we are, compromising in our beliefs. And the question for us, for all of us, is how do we remain faithful in the midst of of the world. And not only is there the worldly power that's a temptation for us, but there's also people who are trying to eradicate the church. And the question for us is is there churches that are causing a stir? Are we really preaching the gospel? Are we healing the sick? Are we setting captives free? See, we're coming to a time where, again, our government probably is not very favorably looking upon the church, especially not Christian churches that want to seek uh, to believe in the Bible and to apply the word of God to all the, the things that are around us. I was talking to a person that even this past week, and I was talking about their job, and I said, oh, well, maybe I can get a job there. And he goes, you're not politically correct enough. I'm sure he meant it as a slam on me, but it was a little bit of an encouragement to me. See, we have this place where, again, are we as the church changing people's lives? Not just their doctrine, but their lives. Are they coming and falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus? Are their lives being changed in such a way that if this church, if those people were to move or be misplaced or taken away, would it make a difference? And the disciples are causing such a stir at this point that the government is seeking to eradicate the church. And the first thing that they do is they begin to eradicate the leaders And we've heard here very specifically, Herod has now killed James. And he's put Peter into prison. And so I want you to be aware of that if we are doing the things that we're supposed to do, God calls us to be leaders. And it doesn't have to be a formal leadership. It doesn't have to be those who are ruling elders, teaching elders, or deacons. Anybody who puts himself in a position of leadership should be aware of the attacks of those who hate you. Let, let me just give you a, a, a picture of this. If you've ever petted a cat, 
and you've stroked the cat, you've petted the cat, and then how quickly does that cat turn and scratch you? They're not good animals like dogs. (laughs) These are evil, evil things sometimes. And you're petting this thing, and you're loving this thing, and you're, you're taking care of it. And you can hear it purr at one moment, and then it turns on you and scratches your hand or scratches your face or whatever. And then what's our normal response? Now, you might be different than mine. My normal response is to smack the cat. <laughs> I'm just loving on you, so why are you turning on me? Make no mistake, if you find yourself in, in a place of leadership, you will find attacks from Satan, Attacks from other people that within the flock, even attacks from yourself. We all know that we never do a good enough job. There's always one more phone call, one more invite, one more letter to write, one more text, one more thing to see, one more discussion to have, one more home to visit. It's never ending, it's never done. And so it's easy for us to find ourselves being attacked by things outside as well as things within inside of us, all trying to seek us to become something where we would just quit. See, Satan doesn't have to ha- have us hate God. He just has to make us forgetful of him or afraid. And so here's where we find the situation where James has been killed and now Peter is in prison. So let's look at verses 6 through 11. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done to him by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So we have this time where, again, maybe, maybe you're not questioning, but it made me question, what's up with the providence of God? And here's what I mean. Why was James killed and Peter allowed to live? Isn't that a question we should ask? Here, James has been killed, and yet Peter is allowed to live, and he's allowed to live by a miracle. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism has, question number 11 says this, what is God's providence? And the answer is this, is completely holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing every creature and every action. Now, Again, it's, it's easy for us to kind of ask the question of, well, wasn't this really harsh of God to, to take James out? But I want you to understand that, that Jesus had told James, and I wanted to distinguish, okay? So this is the James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. This isn't James, the stepbrother of Jesus. Now, it's specific because he was called to serve others and glorify God. How do I know that? Because in Mark chapter 10, 
starting in verse 35 and following, this is where the request of John and James came to Jesus. And they said, hey, Jesus, when you come into your glory, let us be on the right and the left side of you so that we might reign with you. And how does Jesus answer them? It's not mine to give to you. And he said to them very specifically, you can't drink the cup that I'm about to drink. And they said, sure we can. Jesus, anything you can do, we can do. And Jesus answers them, at one point, at some point, you will drink the cup that I'm about to drink. And then what he tells them, he says, hey, you know how the, the people, the Gentiles, lord it over top and how they rule. But I'm telling you to come and be a servant, not just a servant, but a slave. That's the word he uses. Be a slave to all people. And so Jesus told him very specifically, James, you are going to die a death because you've gone out to serve other people and they're not going to like it. So we need to be very specific in regards to how you are praying. So we have the story of James and Providence, but then we also have the other side of the Providence where God protects Peter. Now I want you to understand this, the given situation. So there are four sets, of, four sets of four soldiers that are around Peter at this moment. Now, again, I want you to also understand that Peter is asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I get anxious about either good things or bad things. So I, get, I don't sleep as well if I know that I'm going to go uh, out fishing with a, a charter or something like that because I get excited about what am I going to get? What can I bring home? I'm going to a a Disney park with my children or whatever. I get excited. Oh, this is going to be fun. But I also don't sleep very well if I know that the hurricane's coming. The night before, I'm not sitting there in my bed going, well, whatever happens, happens, and I'm just going to have a good night's sleep. But that's how Paul is. I mean, that's how Peter is. Do you understand what he's doing? (laughs) He's arrested, he's in chains, and he's asleep. So much so that the angel doesn't just come and say, hey, Peter, wake up. It says it smacks Peter in the head. Peter is so overwhelmed with God's mercy and grace and him being in control that he's going to sleep. If he goes tomorrow and gets put to death, so be it. If he lives tomorrow, so be it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would it be said of us? That we trusted God the same way. That we would be able to sleep in such a way that the, the angels would have to come and smack us in the head to wake us up. And then what he does is he brings about a miraculous escape. And this is miraculous. You're talking about hardened soldiers who, in, in, even in today's military, go ask anybody who's been in the military. If you fall asleep during your time of century while you're keeping watch, that's a serious offense. Even to today. Because everybody that's sitting there sleeping is focused on you being awake. You're going to take care of us. You're going to keep us from all trials and tribulations. So this is a punishment punishable by death if they have the prisoner escape. So here they have, this angel comes in, smacks Peter in the head, tells him to get up, get clothed, the the chains fall off. He walks right past the guards, four sets of them. 
He walks right past them, gets to the gate that's closed, and it opens automatically. And it's said that Peter, he's thinking he's in a dream. And then all of a sudden, he comes to himself. Now, what happens when he comes to himself? Where's the first place that he goes? He goes to church. And I want you to recognize that because in the mystery of this providence for, for him, I want to ask the question, did the, did the church pray for Peter more than it did for James? Did God love Peter more than James because he allowed James to be killed but Peter to remain alive? Listen, history is shaped and changed not by kings or dictators, but by a sovereign, good, sovereign God who puts forth his hand in power. God is the one in control. It's not Biden, it's not Kamala, it's not our Senate, it's not our House, it's not any person around the world that's in control. They've only been given just a partial power for a period of time. God is the one who's in control. And because of that, the providence that God does, it's not just a story just for Peter, it's a story for Herod. And we'll see this. This story is for Herod, and it's for the church. So let's look at what the church is doing. Verses 12 through 19. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not even open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is an angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So here you have the church. Now, the the church does some good things here and they do some bad things here. Okay? The first thing is that prayer is essential. Corporate prayer is necessary. It's a necessary thing for the church. It's just like what I tell people when they come in for some marriage counseling. I so believe that they continue to date in marriage. You have to continue to talk. You have to continue to grow. You have to continue to grow in your understanding of who that person is. You never figure out the other person ever this side of heaven. So there has to be a continuation. You have to date. You have to talk to people in order to grow in your relationship. Why is it any different with God? Our prayer has to be necessary. It's of importance, great importance. So much so, this is what C.S. Spurgeon said. We shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. See, it's the most important factor for the survival and growth of the church. It's essential to who we are, is to be in communication with God. So we know it's an essential prayer, but it's also an earnest prayer. 
See, they start to seek the divine power because the advantage is not with Herod. The advantage is with a praying church. Remember the words, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the word. What Mickey read to us, God laughs at the plans of man. He laughs at what we try to devise. Think about this. When you're poor, do you worry about people coming and stealing things from your house? No. I was hoping people would come and steal things from my house. Come take this stuff. At least I can get some insurance money and buy some nicer things. You want my holy underwear passed down from my brothers? Take it. It's yours. But all of a sudden, you get to start buying nicer things. Now I start worrying. Now, who's going to break into my house? Sometimes I want to just leave a note and say, hey, you can get nicer things over at this house. Leave mine alone. But why do I start to worry at that point? Because if we're honest, all of us like to be in control. All the time and everything. And God says you're not. And that's a good thing. Because he's always putting us in a place where we have to run back to him and recognize that he is the one who's in control. He's the one who has the power. And what happens is that we need to start going into earnest prayer. And what does that mean that we earnestly pray? Well, the first thing we need to be doing is confess, excuse me, confessing our sins. Not just in general. What are the specific sins in your life that need to be confessed? Because we need to make sure that we are stretching out our souls to God. We want to give everything to him. Confess to him. Cry out to him. And listen, prayer is not always easy. One of the pastors gave this quote. He said, prayer is like ripe fruit in the fall. Some will fall quickly to the ground while others need need the requirement of the tree to be shaken. We have to bombard God with prayer. Earnest prayer, sincere prayer, honest prayer, crying out to him. And then when we get that, we have to make sure that we look forward to the answer in prayer. What are our expectations? And let me ask a very specific question. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we believe it? Or is it just something that we do? Do we really believe that God hears us? Do we fall into the routine of prayer and we just mouth words that we hardly know that we are saying? Do, Do we truly grasp and understand that we get to speak verbally to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who spoke the universe into existence by his words? That's the God you get to speak to. And it's something that's, again, everybody gets caught up in this. Sometimes we just kind of go through the motions. You know, how many of us get caught up in just the routine, the same prayers over and over and over again? And sometimes our hearts aren't in it. You know, I mean, I grew up in a family where we said, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Every meal. Now, how many times did we really mean that? Because there's a lot of times when my mom served liver and onions. I wasn't thankful, but I still said the prayer. But my heart wasn't in it. 
See, that's part of the danger. And we are called to, to, to believe in this prayer. And, and we see that even the church, listen, didn't believe that Peter was there. So here they're praying, God, please deliver Peter. Peter's at the door and knocking. And they said, ah, can't be him. You're out of your mind, little girl. And then they think he's an angel. Now, I don't even know how to, where to go with that one. But this church who's praying for Peter to be miraculously delivered from prison, to not go to his death, God hears their prayer, he answers their prayer, and they don't believe. How many times do we get there? God, I'm going to pray for this, but I don't think you can answer this. Because it's just too great for you to answer. See, we have to be very specific in regards to our expectations, but we need to be specific in our prayers themselves. Stop being vague in your prayers. Be specific. Be very specific with God. Sometimes God tells us very clearly in the scripture, he says, you don't have because you haven't asked. Now he might say no. But why are we not asking for bigger things? I, I, I keep asking, or sometimes I find myself, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I, I pray, I say, God, you know, I, I knew today was going to be light. I know people are, are around the country, they're traveling, they're doing all these kind of things. And I was like, dear God, please let a bus break down right in front of our church. And have all those people have to come in here and hear the gospel message because I want hundreds of people. And I said, no, I want thousands of people. And then I backed it off and I said, no, I want hundreds because our church can't take care of a thousand. Why back off? Why do I think God can't take care of a thousand people here at Northside? If God's faithful to bring a thousand people, he's going to raise up the right people to take care of them. My faith is weak sometimes. So is yours. So was the church in Jerusalem. God, we're praying that you do this, but we just don't really believe you're going to deliver Peter. And yet here's Peter knocking on the door. How cool is that? And not only for the adults, but think what it did for the little Rhoda girl who was so excited that she didn't even let Peter in. She left him at the door because she was so excited to go and tell the people, God's answered your prayer. He's outside. I wonder if Rhoda became an incredible prayer warrior because she saw God work. Let me tell you a, a true story. There was a young girl on a plane and uh, the plane encountered turbulence and it was going up and down so much so that the passengers began to get nervous and people started praying. Some people started um, kind of hugging on the people that were with them. Um, others were starting to cry out of um, thinking that they were going to crash. And this one person said that he was looking over at this little girl who all she was doing, she brought her legs up underneath her in her seat and she was reading. No hesitation. She wasn't upset. And so the plan 
landed, everything was fine, people got off the plane, but this little girl stayed on, and so this person stayed on, and it said, little girl, why were you not nervous? And the little girl responded with this, my daddy is the pilot, and he's taking me home, so I knew I was okay. There's such a difference if we trust in our Heavenly Father. And know that he loves us and he will take care of us. And nothing can hurt us outside of his providence. And we look at situations like James and Peter and we say, well, that's sad for James. James got to go home. He got to be with Jesus. Peter had to wait so much longer. See, we need to trust, trust the answers from our Heavenly Fathers. Now, again, he tells us in James uh, 4.15 that we ask according to his will. Don't boast in our arrogance. This isn't a name it, claim it thing that I'm teaching you here. Okay, this is, don't go to Joel Olstein. Don't start looking at that stuff. Okay, it's not name it, claim it, because it's according to God's will. But let me ask you, do you truly believe in miracles? Do you believe that God still does the supernatural? Because he does, even when we have a little faith. Let me finish this this story. Verses 22 through 24. So Herod, let me give you the background. Herod goes down. He's meeting with people who are compromising because they need food from Herod. And so he starts to speak to them. And this is how the people answer. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Talking about Herod. And it says of 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's the point of the story. Herod, who is seeking to put Peter and the church to death, goes down, compromises with the world, thinks that he's glorified himself, and God strikes him as dead in a moment's notice. And then look what it says in verse 24. But the word of God increased and it multiplied. Trust your heavenly father. Dream big, ask for very big prayers for yourself and for Northside in 20 and 21. Pray big prayers for the kingdom of God. Because he's the one who's in control all the time, now and forevermore.